0: Part 5 of our look at Martin Luther, if you are just joining us tonight, we've been going through a history of the Reformation and we're going to continue that. Um, it's funny because as I look forward to, to where we could go, uh, gosh, there are just so many roads that, that are all taking us in the right direction. Um, but I, I really want to be picky about where we're going. Just, just by chance, nobody's tired of this yet, are you? Okay, <laughs> good. Because if you get tired of it, then, then we'll just stop. But I, I think we're going in the right direction. I will say, though, I'm not going to go any further than John Calvin. I might just go, we might, our next lesson, a uh, person of interest may be John, uh, uh, William Tyndale, and then we'll take us into John Calvin. And then we'll kind of stop for a little while, okay? So the last time that we were together, we were in the year 1518, Martin was being protected from going to Rome uh, because he would potentially never come back if he did go to Rome. So, in the year 1518, instead of Rome going to Germany, actually, instead of uh, Germany going to Rome, Rome comes to Germany. And they come in the person of their most able theologian. His name was Cardinal Cajetan. Cardinal Cajetan. We're going to say his name a lot throughout the next few minutes. But Martin was promised that if he were to meet with Cardinal Cajetan, he would be promised safe passage. If he would meet with Cardinal Cajetan in a place called Augsburg, a place called Augsburg. Now, as we mentioned last time, everyone around Martin was was pleading with him. Don't go. It doesn't matter if they promised you safe passage or not. They're liars. They're going to kill you. They're going to burn you. You won't make it back. But this is exactly what Martin had wanted all along. He wanted to have a discussion. He wanted to have a debate out in the open so that he could discuss the reasons why he wrote the 95 Theses. He could hear the other side's argument and that he eventually he thought he would win. So when Martin arrived in Augsburg, he was not killed. All right. So let's thank God for that. But the interaction that Martin had with Cardinal Cajetan was nothing like he was expecting. Cardinal Cajetan, when Martin Luther arrived, was, number one, already upset. Here's why he was upset, because Cardinal Cajetan did not realize that Martin Luther had been promised safe passage. Sometimes it seems like I talk and you don't realize that I stop and then you go, oh, (laughs) now I get what he said. So he was mad because he realized this guy's already been promised that he's allowed to get here safely and leave safely. Cardinal Cajetan had no intention of having an actual debate with Martin. The only intention that he wanted, the only thing that he intended to do was get him there so they could take him away. But since that was not going to be possible, the first thing that Cardinal Cajetan says to Martin when he sees them is repent, recant, take everything that you've said, take it all back. And Martin thinks he's coming to a discussion. Martin thinks he's coming to have a debate. Instead, he's coming to be accused. Instead, he's coming to be condemned. He says, all the things that you've written, everything that you've said, take it all back. Martin realized, so this is a court of law. I'm used to this. I was a lawyer before. So he starts to take on the lawyer position and starts to defend his own case. And he starts to play mind chess with this theologian from Rome. But Cardinal Cajetan was no slouch either. So he starts to understand I know why I've I've got Martin here. And he starts to to back Martin into a corner so that Martin could start to sound and also uh, admit that he has a conflict or a problem with the teachings of Rome. Now, it's one thing to disagree with a particular monk. It's one thing to disagree with a particular priest. It's another thing also to... Disagree with uh, Johann Tetzel, but to disagree and to go against the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church was to sign your own death warrant. And in this conversation, Cajetan was able to maneuver Martin into taking positions that were opposed to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, most specifically the teachings concerning the Treasury of Merit which we've talked about. Remember that? What's the treasury of Mary? It is the, this, this imaginary treasury that's filled with all of the good deeds of Jesus, of Mary, of all the apostles, of all the, the, uh, the saints after them, all the extra good deeds. They've done so many good deeds that the extra good deeds get placed into this treasury of Mary. And you can take from that treasury of Mary by buying an indulgence. Martin was clearly against this teaching, and he was also against the teaching of indulgences. Now, who had affirmed these teachings as being from God? The Roman Catholic Church, through the Pope. So if Martin goes against these teachings, who is he going against? Rome and the Pope. Not only Rome and the Pope, but also the councils. So they believed in the infallibility of the Pope, which we'll get to in a moment. But they also believed that there was a collection of councils that were so wise that they could not make a mistake. Martin was going against all three of those. Cajetan brought up that in 1300, Pope Boniface VII authorized uh, the selling of indulgences. Cajetan also pointed out in 1343 that Pope Clement VI... Authorize the doctrine of the treasury of merit. So Martin, these two historical popes, you're going against them. And Martin had a brief silence, and he says something that challenged the very foundation and authority of the church. He said, Everything you speak of, I can find nowhere in the scriptures. He started bringing up all of these teachings of the church and Martin's response is, but yeah, I don't see that anywhere in scripture. What is he challenging? He's challenging the authority of the church. The church says they're the authority. Martin says, this is my authority, though. And I don't find that anywhere there. This was huge. Although the the doctrine of papal infallibility, that didn't come until 1870. The church had always held to the idea that that whatever came from the church or whatever came from the pope was perfect. It was from God. So by making these statements, Martin was saying the church was wrong and popes were wrong. in hearing this was furious. OK, and, and he's not the only one there. There are other people there. Now, here's what Martin Luther says. When he reflected back on this moment years later, he says this, when thereafter I returned to him, he wanted me to simply recant. Then I became very angry and addressed him without his title. I simply called him, this is his discussion with Cajetan. he says, I simply called him you. (laughs) And I said, I cannot recant unless someone teaches me something that is better. I cannot abandon the scriptures. When he got nowhere with me, with his rebukes, he shouted at me, Friar, Friar, yesterday you were very reasonable, but today you are completely mad. He then confronted me with the papal bull Extravaganta of Clement IV. However, I said that that pope had misinterpreted the scriptures, and I also argued against the pope. Cajetan at this point became exceedingly angry and said, recant or don't ever return. I took the words don't ever return to heart and I left. (laughs) That's classic Martin Luther. I mean, if you ever want to know what he's thinking, read what he wrote, because he's going to tell you everything that's on his mind and he won't hold anything back. So Martin leaves and he leaves quickly, mind you, gets on a horse and he's out of there. One year later, 1519, there is another opportunity for debate and discussion. This time, it was going to be in the city of Leipzig. The city of Leipzig. This time, Germany was going to provide a theologian who was also a lawyer. His name was John Eck. E-C-K. John Eck. Now, John Eck He was going to approach this discussion from a different angle. He was going to do some research, not on the 95 theses of Martin Luther. He was going to do some research on every kind of piece of literature that he could get from Martin Luther. Everything that Luther wrote, bring it to me. I want to examine what this guy is teaching. So in doing some of the research, John Eck was able to link the ideas and the teachings of Martin Luther to another troublemaker. During the debate that they had there in Leipzig, John Eck began to bring up the teachings of the man whom Martin Luther sounded like. And he said this. This man said the scriptures are the only source of authority for, for the believers. This man says Pope ha- Popes have no authority to decide what is true and what is not true. This man says that it is only by the righteousness of Christ alone, apart from works, that one can be saved. This man says that indulgences are nothing but a means to fatten the bellies of the shepherds who do nothing but fleece the flock. This man was burned at the stake here in Germany. And this man is saying, that is, and Martin Luther is saying the same things that this man said. You remember that man. His name was John Huss. Now, John Huss was condemned for teaching these things. What shall we do with this German monk or, as I like to now call him, the German John Huss? That was his new nickname, the German John Huss. Yeah. So, Martin, the floor is all yours. Do you agree with these teachings? Will you deny these teachings? And he does not doesn't deny a thing. He affirms every single one of those doctrines, every single one of the things that he wrote. And he also affirms everything John Huss wrote. From then on, he had a a swan, as I told you before, embroidered on his coat in memory and in honor of John Huss. He took that that moment. He took that moment to heart and says, I will carry on this tradition. Now, it's not known how he escaped that meeting, but, but he escaped that meeting. The following year, Pope Leo, this is in 1520, Pope Leo X issued a papal bull. That is a, a, an authentic decree by the Pope. Now, if it's a decree by the Pope, the Pope is basically speaking on behalf of God, and he condemns Martin Luther as a heretic. Now, you know what happens to heretics in the, 15th, in the 16th century, don't you? They die. You can call me a heretic today, and it's no big deal. I'll still be all over the website and YouTube, whatever. But back then, if you are condemned as a heretic, you die. In this papal bull, the beginning said, Exerge Domine, which means, Arise, O Lord. There is a wild boar loose in your vineyard. Pope Leo goes on to say then, Arise, St. Peter. There is someone challenging your authority. He says, arise Christ, arise all of heaven. Let's get Martin Luther, basically. All of his books, at least the ones that they could gather, were collected and brought to Rome. The Pope took them and he put them in his courtyard and burned them in a big bonfire. It took three months for that, that papal bull, that piece of paper, to reach Germany to Martin Luther When it finally does, it is evening. Martin Luther is sitting around a bonfire with his comrades and his students are around him as well. They're all warming themselves in front of this bonfire. And here comes an official sender or at least official deliverer from Rome. And, you know, when someone from Rome is coming and you also know what an official document from Rome looks like, and especially a papal bull. It's signed with the seal of the Pope. And it's, it's probably about that big. I had a picture of it, but I wanted you guys to just visualize these things tonight. Anyways, there was no simple piece of paper. When it was delivered to Martin, he stands in front of his students and in front of his comrades there, and he reads to them this papal bull. And in that papal bull, Martin Luther is condemned as a heretic. In that papal bull, Martin Luther is also condemned as a former Bohemian monk was condemned. In that papal bull, everything that Martin has been speaking about, everything that Martin, Martin has been proclaiming is condemned by the Pope. After Martin is done reading, he takes that papal bull and he throws it into the fire. That's what I think about your papal bull. He was essentially declaring war or game on, because he knew that once you are declared as a heretic, you die. Martin Luther, by burning that, basically said, come and get me. He was starting to gain supporters, and these supporters started to call themselves Lutherans. And that movement began to spread all throughout Germany. I mean, they started to identify themselves with this man so much that they took his name. I'm a Lutheran, much like the movements of John Wycliffe and John Huss, the Hussites and the Wycliffeites. Because these movements were, were taking place all throughout Germany, the officials of Germany decided something has got to take place. We've got to have some kind of council, some kind of order where we can officially make a statement concerning this movement that's going on all throughout our country. So they they call together what is known as in the German language, a diet or a diet. It's called the council, and it would be held in the city of Worms. It's called the diet or the Diet of Worms. It looks like a diet of worms, if you're spelling it, okay? Diet of Worms. It was going to be held in the city of Worms. and in that place, the Emperor, whose name was Prince Charles V, he would be there. The representatives from Rome standing in place of the Pope, they would be there and they would have finally a discussion with Martin Luther and Martin Luther finally would have a time where he could be able to express what he believes and why he believes it so they called this council this diet in the year of 1521 now this was again Martin now he he figures finally third time maybe is going to be the charm i can go to this council we can finally have an opportunity to share all of the things I've been hoping to share, and not only just in front of one theologian, but in front of the state, in front of the country, and for for the emperor to be there in front of the world, he sees this as a great opportunity. His friends, again, don't go. You're crazy. Don't do this. It's suicide. What's that movie from? It's suicide. Anyways, uh, it's suicide. I was thinking, of, don't do What is it? Sandlot. it's suicide. Remember the beast. Anyways, so I just saw it the other day. Um, sorry, hey, <laughs> killing me, Smalls. All right, um, but the emperor promises, if you come, you will have safe passage. The emperor, Prince Charles, says, if you go, you will have safe passage to Worms. He knew the devil would be there. And he knew that he was ready to go and stand up for what he believed, and that he would be vindicated by teaching the truth there, right? So they went in what is like a covered wagon. And to their, you know, unbeknownst to them, as they traveled to Worms, people from the countryside started coming out and hailing Martin Luther as a hero. Everywhere he went, they were saying, Get him. Stand up for truth. Thank you for saying what you've been saying. Thank you for, for teaching about indulgences. I mean, the peasants and the poor people, they loved this man. And everywhere he went, especially when he arrived in Worms, in there was miles of people that were just lined up cheering him on as he went to the council. I mean, if you can imagine the, 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 the joy and excitement and then also the the unexpected Support that you would have from all of these people. Martin goes to the council and as he stands there, I mean, I can imagine him looking back and just seeing crowds shouting and cheering him on as he goes in. Essentially standing up for them. Saying for them what they've always kind of thought was wrong. And now here's someone who understands it. He's going to go speak on their behalf. What, what, What a moment that must have been. So he goes. But when he goes, he experiences something a lot different than what he thought it was going to be. And we'll find out what that is next time. No, I'm just playing. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> so there was no debate. This was no, <laughs> this was no debate. Okay. When Martin comes in, he sees a scene that's very familiar. He walks in. There is the Emperor there, in the front, almost sitting as in the middle, there are the delegates from Rome sitting on the sides. And then in front, there's a crowd of people, and on top, there is a crowd of people. In the middle, between the chair, the crowd, there is a table. And on that table is every book and every piece of literature that he's ever written. And there was no chair for him. He was to stand trial. Martin realized this is no debate. I'm being put on trial. He walks in this great hall, and as he approaches, the first thing they ask him are, Are these your books? If you can imagine all of these books, and he says, Well, yeah, they're mine. They said, You must say, Revoco. Which means, I recant. I take it back. Martin said, well, I've written a lot of stuff here. What what exactly do you want me to take back? There's a lot of things that, that I've said here that I don't think you would disagree with. So why would I take certain things back that I think we would be in agreement with? Stop that. Stop your trickery. You know what we mean. You must right now repent and repent of all of the things that you've ever written in these books. The crowd was hushed. I mean, this was his moment. All the crowds on the outside, you could almost maybe hear them shouting and, and, or maybe even quiet, just wondering what's happening in there. He's standing up for them. He comes inside and they say, take this all back. People were on the edges of their seats. Martin is quiet. He's thinking... And then he does something very strange. He does this. He answers with his lips, but nothing comes out of his mouth. And they look, I mean, if you can imagine, the emperor looks at at the the Pope's guys, and the Pope's guys look at each other, and they, what's wrong with this? And they say, what's the matter with speak up? And he goes, can I have 24 hours to respond? We give you 24 hours. Meet us back here tomorrow and you must respond. They take him away and they don't take him away to a hotel. They take him away to a jail cell. And while he was in his jail cell, he wrote a prayer and I want to read it to you. This was his prayer the night before. He says, oh, God, almighty God, everlasting. How dreadful is the world. Behold how its mouth opens to swallow me up. And how small is my faith in thee. Oh, the weakness of the flesh and the power of Satan. If I am to depend on any strength of this world, all is over. The nail is struck. Sentence has gone forth. Oh, God. Oh, God, thou art my God. Help me against the wisdom of this world. Do this. I beseech thee. Thou should do this by thy own mighty power. The work is not mine, but thine. I have no business here. I have nothing to contend for with these great men of the world. I would gladly pass my days in happiness and peace. But the cause is thine. And it is righteous and it is everlasting. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, faithful and unchangeable God, I lean not upon man. It were in vain if I did. Whatever is of man is tottering. Whatever proceeds from him must fail. My God, my God, do you hear me? My God, are you alive? Are you living? No, you can't die. But you're hiding yourself. You have chosen me for this work. I know it. Therefore, O God, accomplish your own will. Forsake me not for the sake of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, my defense, my buckler, my stronghold. God, where are you? My God, where are you? Come, I pray thee, I am ready. Behold, I am prepared to lay down my life for the truth, suffering like a lamb. For the cause is holy, the cause is thine. I will not let you go. No, not for all eternity will I let you go. And though the world should be thronged with devils and this body, which is the work of thine hands, should be cast forth, trodden underfoot, cut into pieces, consumed in ashes. My soul is thine. Yes, I have thy word to assure me of it. My soul belongs to thee and I will abide with thee forever. Amen. Oh God, send help. Amen. Oh, you imagine the emotion that's going on there. Now he's standing in front of the world. He's standing in front of sure death. If he does what he knows he should do. In the morning he was brought back. Same scene. And they asked him once again. You must say. revoco. Will you take these things back? <clears throat> Martin said. Since your serene majesty. And your lordship seek a simple answer. I will give it in this manner. Neither Horned nor tooth, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by evident reason, for I do not trust in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often (laughs) erred or erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures and I have quoted and my, I am bound by the scriptures that I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot, and I will not, recant anything. <laughs> Since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience, I can do no, other, no otherwise. Here I stand, may God help me. Amen. <laughs> oh, man. The audience exploded. I mean, with cheers, with spitting, with trying to grab and pull at him as he left. He walked straight out. People are trying to pull him apart. People are cheering for him. People are shouting for him. When he steps outside, the crowd of people, they see him and they're shouting, yes, Luther. And he gives them whatever the German sign is. I don't know if it was a thumb or a wink or a roof or whatever. He lets them know. Everything is okay. And they just go even crazier. Now, once that happens, this is straight out of the movies, but it's exactly what happened. Once that happens, horsemen come riding through the crowd, dressed in black robes. They jump off their horses to the front of this scene. They grab Martin Luther physically, tie him up quickly, throw him on their horses, and escape. He was kidnapped. Martin Luther. This is it. I stood up for the word. Now I'm going to die. They travel through the forest all night when they finally reach the destination, they throw him inside of a castle. They start taking off their hoods. We have captured you and you are now the prisoner of Frederick the Wise. Remember him? Frederick the Wise planned a kidnapping to get Martin Luther out of there because he had an idea that Martin Luther was going to say something stupid (laughs) that was probably going to get him in trouble. So he plans a kidnapping to get him out of there and gets him to a safe haven in a place called Wardsburg, where he would stay for one year. I mean... It's just if you haven't seen the movie Luther, watch it. It's it's exciting. I think I'm doing a better get a better job. But I mean (laughs) something else. He stays in the castle where he's able to read as he wants as he wants, to write as he wants. He grows out his hair. If you ever seen monks, they have this bald spot up here. Some of you guys oh nobody does. Okay. They have this huge bald spot and there's hair in the front. He grows out his hair. And he grows out a beard. Gains some weight. And he goes by a different name, an alias, Squire George. And he carries a sword like a knight. And he, nobody knows that's Martin Luther. He, he lives among the people. People are looking for him all over the country. And they don't realize Squire George is Martin Luther. <coughs> Squire George, yeah. He recognized there in the castle that the people needed to know the Bible for themselves. So he goes through the journey of translating the Word of God from the Greek language to the German vernacular. My wife recently bought me a 1700 copy of one of Martin Luther's translations. This is is one of them. It's not probably there, that close, but this is from the 1700s. I can barely open it because it'll break apart, but that's all German. This is a Luther translation. So he worked for, they say it took about six months to a year to translate the Greek to this here. And to have one of these is gold back then. Can you imagine? I can't read it, but I have it. Uh. I, and then as soon as she got me this, I just started thinking, oh, I've got to get more of these things. Um, so Martin Luther was a good German monk, actually a good German. So every now and then, and I probably would say more so every rather than every now and then, um, maybe some more now than then. How's that? He would go down to the local pub and have a beer um, and just listen to people talk about the change that's going on in Germany because of this man, Martin Luther. And they would say stuff about it. Yeah, and, and, and you know, they probably all talked like crazy Germans, but um, Martin Luther is over, you know, that kind of stuff. And he's probably just like, man, that guy's awesome, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, but on one occasion, as he's hearing the guys talk about the things that are going on, He starts to hear about something that that not only shocks him, but it bothers him to the core of his being. So much to the point that he says, I can't stay hidden any longer. Something must be done about this one. And we will talk about what that is the next time we get together. And we'll actually conclude our journey with Martin Luther the next time we get together. (laughs) And Eddie threw up his hands like that to me. Sorry, it's 8 o'clock. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this night. Thank you for this time. We just pray that you were glorified tonight. We pray that we have a better understanding, Lord, of of the long line of again godly men and women who stood firm when they were against the world, knowing that you were on their side. And we just pray, God, that we would take that attitude into the workplace, that we would take that attitude into our homes with our families. That, Lord, we would be so passionate about the truth, that we would want to be so familiar with it, God, and ready to defend it. That any time a, a false truth or a lie looms on the horizon, we would recognize it and defend our truth, your truth, Lord, with all of our heart, even if it cost us our life. Amen. Knowing that the, the reward is so much greater than the cost. We thank you for this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, go brother. Well, I, I do...